Off to Athens. Yante Maiden, Kirby Smart, here we come. Taped today in front of a live studio audience. Exactly. Nice to have a guest on the pod. Unclear whether that's going to be an active participant or not. We might have to uh, get out another microphone. The game plan today, the itinerary, not a direct flight. Not a direct flight. It'll definitely uh, our biggest uh, audience. We'll have a total of four people in the car with us. Us two, obviously, and then our good friend Brett Redden and our good friend John Gobbold. But we're picking John up at exit 100. So look forward to seeing John and riding up with Brett. And then we're going to play around in downtown Athens, check out some of the good restaurants and some of the fun college town environment. Then head over to the Stegman Coliseum, watch Winthrop and UGA. Eagles perhaps at full strength tonight, which they were not at Auburn during the last guarantee game. Beat Georgia back in 2003. And then uh, head on home. Hopefully have some fun in between. The big talk when we get there in Athens is obviously going to be on the college football playoff. I mean, this game, as big as it is, the basketball game. The, the, it's not gonna, There's a basketball game? It's going gonna, it's gonna to pale in comparison. I'm sure when we go to one of the uh, 88 uh, bars in town that... 121 places with a liquor license in a mile radius. But I bet their fans will find some places in Pasadena that also have a liquor license. Have you ever been to the Rose Bowl? I have been by the Rose Bowl, but I've never been in the Rose Bowl. It's such a cool place because kind of like downtown Pasadena is like a mile, mile and a half walk. So you can go to restaurants and bars and then you've got like a... 20 minute walk to just this serene, beautiful, scenic, historic mm-hmm. stadium. It's a lot of fun. It's a great place. I'm a David Green fumble away from producing BC in the Sugar Bowl back in like 1993. Probably the last time they were in a significant bowl. They ended up. Sorry, Meat. No, that wasn't Meat. That was the, uh, the old uh, Dick Lutsk days. And Pete Cronin, who's still doing the games. But that was the year BC beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame had just beaten Florida State. They were undefeated number one team in the country. And BC goes in, stuns the world. What was BC ranked at the end of the year? They ended up being, I think they were like 22 or 23. I think they were in the low 20s. I don't think they're going to make any form of a future football playoff at that ranking. But I am more and more beginning to think. No, but they were number two when Matt Ryan was there. Yeah, that's true. But did they finish the year in the top no, ten? I think mm, that's a good question. I'm beginning think to did, think but they were out of the top four. The biggest problems in college football are really straightforward. It's the games against garbage opponents that no right. one wants to watch. It's the championship games which can be more negative than they are positive. It seems to me pretty clear that the thing to do is a sixteen team playoff. And the reason is it kind of checks all the boxes. Player safety, a lot of teams play fewer games. Even the best teams only play about the same number of games. Conference scheduling and strength of schedule, you can play essentially only league games or maybe one or two rivalry games 
out of conference and you let in all of the conference champions. You have a couple of wild cards. You include one or two of the lower major schools. Right. And then from a TV perspective, you sell a couple extra rounds of playoff games. You generate a huge amount of revenue and you get to bring back home games. Instead of playing in Indianapolis or in Atlanta where, yeah, if Georgia's in Atlanta, you get a ton of fans, but not so much if uh, USC is in Atlanta. What makes college sports great is the students, the cheerleaders, the bands, that home environment, the college atmosphere. How great would it be if there was a college football playoff game between the hedges? And you create or you continue the momentum that the season has already provided. You know, right now, there'll be, what, three, four weeks between the major bowls. I mean, obviously, you'll have, you know, like the right the tax layer. Yeah, you know, the, the, all the, the games you don't care about. You're stuff. exactly right, though. You could take off one week and then have a playoff game on a Saturday, a playoff game on a Saturday, a playoff game on a Saturday, or around New Year's, however you want to do it. But there'd be that pregnant pause would go away. And teams like UCF would get an opportunity. And they should. Play. And they should. I completely agree with that. that That's what makes the NCAA tournament so great. It's Cinderella. Yeah. When Winthrop beat Notre Dame in the NCAA tournament, we're talking about it a decade later. Yeah. It's still relevant. Florida Gulf Coast wins a couple of games. Davidson practically goes to the Final yeah. Four. Wichita State does go to the Final Four. George Mason goes to the Final Four. Butler comes within a heave of winning the national title. The miracle on ice is like the great sporting event of our time, right? Because it's an underdog. Sure. The college football playoffs doesn't ever have an underdog. Goodbye, Flying Jay. Hello, Athens. Hey, big addition. John Godbold is with us now, so someone to talk some sense into us is here. You know who likes underdogs, Dave? Brent Musburger? Brent Musburger. Our friends in the desert. Our friends in the desert love underdogs. So here's uh, interesting. You know, the Supreme Court had a very uh, famous ruling recently. It wasn't about gambling, but they are discussing it right now. They'll probably have a ruling on it sometime in June. But the the bill that essentially... It, the funny thing about that the bill, the gambling it's bill... It's named for Chris Christie? <laughs> no, well, Chris Christie's a big pro home, uh proponent of it. I was trying to say proponent without tripping over myself. What's interesting is it doesn't actually prohibit gambling. What it does is it prohibits states from doing their own type of gambling process. But what it does do, and this is why it's being held, going before the Supreme Court, is it just says casinos can't do it. So it doesn't say gambling is illegal. It just says, I know it's kind of a fine distinction. But it's not outlawing gambling. It's just saying casinos can't have a sports book. Yeah, the bottom line is this summer, one of three things is going to happen. New Jersey is going to be allowed to have sports gambling. The entire country is going to be allowed to have sports gambling. Or we're going to continue to do what we do now, which is wink, wink, nod, nod. We can all gamble if we really want to because we can find someone or open an account in a third world country. But what's interesting about this decision is it's not going to be decided, I don't think, based on whether people should gamble or whether they shouldn't gamble. It's going to come down to a state's rights issue, which means should a state have the right to decide whether they want to um, have gambling in their state or not. Right, which is not all that unreasonable. 
I mean, isn't that the backbone of how the political system was supposed to work a million years ago? That the government, the federal government, was not supposed to kind of pick at each individual state, but more oversee and make sure that everyone is doing things in sort of a similar way? And somewhat a little bit different, though, the, the devil's advocate side of it, though, is, and I think addiction people might try to get their voices heard on this, but is this a, I don't want to say a health issue because it's not a health issue, but maybe a mental health or an addiction yeah. type issue. And thankfully, we have a model to answer that question because Australia, about 15, 20 years ago, decided to allow sports gambling. So you can look at exactly what happened there. And what happened there was addiction did go way up, but they found the biggest reason for that was mass advertising. Mm. They have now curbed your ability to advertise on television in much the same way that you can't advertise cigarettes on television. And they have found a lot of those problems have gone away. I mean, if you add sports gambling, if you make it legal, you're going to generate a huge amount of revenue. A piece of that revenue needs to go into teaching and needs to go into resources for people that find trouble with it. But if you continue to have it under the table, there aren't those resources for people that get in trouble, but the trouble is still present. We all know someone who has had a problem with drugs or alcohol or gambling or some other vice. If it's up above boards, there's much more of an ability to treat it and discuss it without it being a taboo. And And Winthrop's getting 11 and a half tonight. (laughs) Well, and I think the, the positive side to it as well is for people that want to maybe have a little action on the game, but for whatever reason can't afford, don't have the time, can't spend the, the money to go out to Vegas. Do you, the, now the question will be, what you what you said in the kind of the start to this was, does this become just a New Jersey thing? Which I think you could make a case for. Yeah, but the floodgates open. If it goes to New Jersey, it's, it's only go a matter to, like, of time. Right, right, right. But but the bottom line is, North Carolina and South Carolina, you can't gamble on horse racing, right? Right. Well, all that does means people are running to border states to bet on horse racing. Remember when there was no lottery in the state of North Carolina? And there used to be lines in Fort Mill and Tiga K to buy lines on the highway to get off of Carowinds Boulevard to get Powerball. Well, what sense does that make? We have been doing this for the last 50, 60, 70, maybe infinity, where something happens, whether it's pick your, well, excuse the pun, poison in this case. but where something is legal somewhere, but it's not legal somewhere else, and then you have this hamster cycle going on about people leaving the border. When I was growing up, you couldn't get uh, beer on Sunday. Right. So there'd be like a mass exodus to New Hampshire right. on, on Sundays because you could buy beer in New Hampshire. It, exactly. I, I, just, I, I don't really get it. If someone wants to bet on Winthrop tonight, why should they not be able to? If someone wants to bet on Georgia tonight, why should they not be able to? And I understand the temptation is either, well, a game could be fixed. Betting on sports generally tips off authorities that a game has been fixed. The Vegas regulatory board and the casinos, they all work really closely together. If there are weird betting patterns and a whole bunch of money is coming in on a team, the NCAA and Vegas, the NFL and Vegas, they talk. Yeah. 
Like, it's actually kind of a safeguard. Otherwise, it's underneath the table, it's shady people, it's unregulated. I think that is more risky than above boards, well-regulated, actually discussed. Now, should there be a delineation, though, between professional and amateur? So, in other words, would you open up the ability to bet on college sports, for instance? I don't know how you can separate them because if you allow betting on the NFL, but you don't allow betting on college football, my bookie still is in business to book Georgia and Oklahoma, but not to book the Raiders and Titans. I mean, let's drive the shady black market people out of business. Let's tax the thing. Let's make revenue off of it. Let's make it safe and let's allow it. I just don't understand the argument um, about if it's legal, there's still an opportunity for fixing. Because I don't, see, I, I, I can't imagine a casino is going to try and. It would be bad for them if they tried to rig something. And it I mean, the argument would be that a player could be had if that player could also bet on the game. Right. But. It's really no different than now. If a player wants to bet on a game now, they can funnel money to someone who can bet on it in a third world country where they can bet on the internet or they can talk to someone, a runner in Vegas to put money on it. It might be a little bit more difficult, but it's like getting pot. You can find it. Yeah. And most athletes, you would think, would do the, uh, the dodgeball where they would put bet money on themselves to make money. Yeah. And not, not the other way where you're tanking it to, to make money. Right, but like, I mean... Because so much has to happen. Like, one person could tank it, but it has to be the right one person to tank it. To... Well, and that's why when you're going to fix a sporting event, you want to fix an individual sporting event. A golfer can decide to hit the ball in the right. water or not make a putt. A tennis player can have a bad day on purpose. A team sport with really competitive people, if one guy is having a bad day, the coach takes him out of the game. Yeah. And supposedly in Europe, betting on tennis... And potential fixing Ten- of tennis is pretty big, right? Tennis is the worst sport because... After highlight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all in one person. And minor league tennis is really low rent. People are not making much money. They're having difficulty trying to earn a living. Yeah. So you can pay someone not that large an amount of money. It can make a difference in their life. They can throw a sport. I really think the analogy, though, to marijuana and sports gambling is a reasonably good one. Because in Colorado, where you can buy pot, but it's really well regulated and it's taxed, are they having more or less problems than in the Carolinas, where you can do it, you just don't want to get caught doing it? Well, and the good thing is with, with gambling is your cash flow is going to be a lot better because aren't they still like just hoarding all the cash that they're making because there's a concern about federal, if the federal government changes the pot policy. Right, like, yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. Like, right now there's it's like money liquid. laundering. Yeah, it's like there's like, you could potentially be money laundering. Yeah, I mean, anything like this needs to be really well thought through, very detailed. You have to have the ability to tinker. You're not going to get it right the first time you do it 100%. But the the bigger argument is, do you want 
do you want bookies and offshore accounts to make your money? Or do you want the government and the states to make the money? Well, and what's the ramification for online gambling? Does this completely crack open online gambling where you can maybe set up an account with, say, Harris or of whoever? Of course. You know? uh, yeah, I mean, you can do it. If you're a Nevada resident, you can set up an account with uh, one of the various casinos there. Yeah, uh, of course that's the that's the way to do it. I mean, the most popular gambling in Europe these days is in-game betting. It's not... Winthrop plus 11 and a half, it's okay, the score of the game at the first media timeout is eight to two, and somebody's got two fouls, here's the revised line, I wanna bet on that right now. Well, no one's gonna sit in a casino every day, all day to do that, you gotta punch it up, you're watching Monday Night Football, you see something going on, last night the Steelers were down, what, 20 nothing or 17 nothing, and you go, yeah, but I've seen the Bengals fold their cards in the second half before. Let me get in on the Steelers while there's value. Or it's called Sunday at the Corner Pub. Right, <laughs> it, it, exactly. But, but, but that's exactly it. You don't want the guy that might run off with your money regulating it. You want the government regulating it. You don't want the casino in the Netherlands Antilles operating it because they might fold tomorrow. You want the government and the Big gambling companies regulating it. So you don't want a visit from Irish Gary or Tommy the Phone? Exactly. Exactly. I want Microsoft and Google involved. Irish Gary, by the way, and Tommy the Thumb are real gangsters. That's great. Love it. A former network executive (laughs) who I may or may not have been in the employ of. Uh, used to gamble quite a bit. Oh, I'm shocked. I've never heard of anyone doing that before. And every now and then, somebody that he would hire would also have that proclivity. And so this predated me by years. This was a story that was going on and on. But apparently one night at this network newsroom, uh, and again, this is way before 9-11, so this was before sophisticated security. But apparently couple of guys. Now, this was not, to my best of my knowledge, this was not Irish Gary and Tommy the Thumb. Uh, They're involved in another story, but a couple guys just walked up, tuned up the board up because he owed them a couple thousand dollars. (laughs) Yeah, that's why we don't want them involved, and we do want regulatory bodies involved. But, you know, if you watched that Monday Night Football game last night, the spread on the game was five. So Cincinnati lost the game. They kind of choked, but they did cover. But that game was pretty interesting. Did you see those two massive hits, the injury to Ryan Shazier, and then in the second half, uh, Vontez Burfecht going out? They were completely different types of hits. Shazier's was kind of his, like his form. He kind of lowered. And, you know, the players are being taught not to do that. Um, the, but the perfect one, that series has been so violent yep. over the last, what, five, six? I mean, it's been a series forever, but just the, the violence. And those teams legitimately hate each other. Did you hear Roethlisberger's answer to the way the game was played? Yeah, it's just AFC North football. <laughs> I mean, what does that mean for next week when they have to get off the deck after playing that hard-hitting game on a Monday and play the Ravens on Sunday? I have two thoughts on this, though, because it speaks to, you know, one, and you, we talked about this 
on an earlier trip about how you know we're still kind of coming to grips with what what we are like what how we're handling our sexuality and how how that is interrelatable with people but violence is the same thing like we're still coming to grips with how as a society we handle violence and football hockey maybe lacrosse i mean there's a couple of you know are violent sports now this isn't like the back in the roman days where you're feeding christians to the lions but it's still a big spectacle and, and so we're still dealing with 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 violence as a society you can just look at crimes and guns and everything like that but when it pertains to football you can't be passive in football you have to play with aggression you have to play with attitude but you also have to do it in a way where you're not intentionally trying to hurt people and those sometimes can be cross purposes your son is 11 he comes to you tomorrow and says dad I really want to play football you let him right now the plan because we've actually had that discussion he's about to go into middle school and the high school that he would go to is a is a powerhouse in North Carolina, and they the the middle school is a, is a good feeder system for that. Now, do I? Th- I mean, well, there's, there's two ways to answer that question. I mean, you played college football. Yeah, no, no. The reason why I say that, I'm not hedging. The reason why I say there's two ways to answer that because the first one is I'm concerned from him from his his physical stature. Like, is he ready yet? Because some people say you're better off waiting until high school to actually start playing football um, so there's kind of like just his how he's maturing I mean he's but if he doesn't play middle school football and then he tries to play high school football isn't he going to be behind he'll be way behind he'll be way behind it, my theory is this and from what I've, I've done a little bit of research to this and talking to people and, and there's mixed obviously there's mixed even in the pediatric community there's mixed opinions about this some people feel like it, you're not hitting you're not hitting as hard. You're not hitting as violently. The players aren't as fast, so it's not as the the hits aren't as as severe. And then the other thought is, well, you're still doing some sort of damage, no matter how hard the hit is. Right now, we have. I think we're playing it by ear. We're gonna wait and see when he comes to us next summer and says yes or no, I want to play football, and then I think we'll make our decision. The fact that we're even having the discussion, though, what does that mean for the future? of football and I think there'll always be people that are in a demographic that that's their escape that's their way to get out of something but what about for the masses or is the quality of football going to go down because there are going to be fewer people willing to play it the large answer is probably a little bit you have to look at the great thing does that, that matter you know I think where it matters is where do like schools 120, 117 up to I don't know maybe 75 or 80 those schools will be impacted you, the, the, the talent will still rise to the level of the bigger schools you know. See, I don't think there's ever going to be an issue with people watching I'm not addicted to drinking or smoking or gambling, but I'm addicted to the NFL. On Sunday, I need to watch NFL games, if not the whole day, a whole bunch of it, because it's once a week and you can handle 30 teams and you know the players and you know the coaches, unlike baseball, which takes a whole season, unlike basketball, where you don't need to pay attention until the postseason. The NFL is so consumable. You can feel like an expert on it by dedicating one day right. a week. Like, I think 
from a gambling, from a fantasy perspective, from the time of year it's on, on Sundays, a weekend, in the winter. Like, I don't think it's ever going away. And even if the quality of play goes down significantly, I don't think the people addicted like me, I don't think it's going to matter. I think maybe a little bit of a chip in certain areas when it comes to talent. But look at this way, and I mean this with all due respect. There are 18-year-old kids that sign up to go into the military, right? Now, yep. they do it for service. They do it you know, maybe in get some a college cases, degree. get a college degree. Maybe they, they want to go like pick a service, go into the Marines because they want to get tougher. And they want to get disciplined, you know, same, you know, all four branches, right? You know, they, they, they want to make a better life for themselves. They're doing it for, if they're going in as a enlisted, they're not going to make a ton of money doing that. Right, but the, but the the call to service, the ability to make do better, the ability to serve your country, that's that's a powerful, that's a, a, a powerful proponent as to why they want to do that. You look at the NFL. Every single one of those guys on the fifty-three man roster of any football team, they understand right now what their risks are. True. They also understand that if they play hard, they earn good contracts. They can set up two, three, four generations down the road. But that's the same reason LeBron James said that he played football as a kid, but his children don't need to. Yeah, because, because his, his, he's already set up down the road for right. all that. Yeah. And, and that makes you wonder about, the, the sport is going to exist. There are always going to be people willing to take that risk. But is the number of people going to decrease? Is the quality of the product going to go down? And if it does, does it matter? I think the biggest issue they have out there is the one we're talking about right now is is the talent level because that's gonna that's gonna maintain interest. I don't know if the people that are protesting because of the anthem, and I'm not disputing why they're doing it. They they have the reasons. That's fine. But I'm just wondering if they were just people that were looking for a reason to bail out of the NFL anyway. Yeah. And, and you look at people that are cord cutting. They're still watching the games. They're just not doing it through normal, you know, the normal process. I, ratings are down, but ratings are down for everything. I mean, that's not just an NFL issue. All right, we are headed downtown Athens, the metropolis of Athens. I think we need a nap. After that, right? Unbelievable. Weaver D's delicious fine foods. But that's way more than food. That's a cultural experience. Well, and Dexter, the proprietor, is uh, kind of a not a one-man band because he had somebody cooking, but he might as well be a one-man band. He was doing a little bit of everything. And he, he came out and talked to us. Yeah, cooking and schmoozing, and he's the influence for the R.E.M. album. Automatic for the people and the food, Mike. The, the food was the main event. Well, and this is the kind of place where, I mean, it's down, down home, good southern soul food. The uh, fried chicken was amazing. If you don't like fried, it was the wrong place to go. Fried but you know fish. But, but it was, it wasn't like, like it wasn't fried in your face. No. You know what I mean? Like it was really. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a fast food place. No. It was a down home country sort of spot and they've been doing it for a long time but he's a character oh he's a character and if you want to go to uh winterregals.com or if you want to go to uh my facebook or one of our twitter pages you can get the uh, interview we did with him he's just a 
neat, neat old guy, older guy. I shouldn't say old guy. He didn't look like he was that old, but he was. Uh, what a character, though. Yeah, and I love that it wasn't right downtown. I mean, you could walk downtown from his place, but it's it's just off the beaten path far enough that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily go there. You don't wander into it. You have to be looking for it. You know what I liked about that restaurant? You walked in and you just felt like very accepting, very welcoming. I mean, it was just... You're the only one person in there. Yeah. It felt like you yeah. were the person. Yeah. And then bringing you up to the counter to yeah. decide what side you wanted. I also like a place where they have a menu, but they don't actually follow it. I mean, he told you when you walked in what they had and what they didn't have. That's what I loved about it. It wasn't so much that you could decide what you wanted. It was like you could decide what they had. <laughs> well, that's like the dessert. We tried to get the um, like the peach cobbler. Or the, we, we did get the peach cobbler. We were trying to get... Um, Banana Yeah, the pudding. banana pudding, but that was not... Uh, not happening. That was not happening. The option you had is peach cobbler. Oh, peach cobbler. Right. And we so, got the peach cobbler. So we chose two of them. <laughs> now, Andy, did you hear about this one? Tell me how you locked in the pines. Andy, how you goofing on Elvis, too, baby? Are we losing time? great little downtown you know last time we were here about five years ago together I know you were here recently but didn't really get a chance to check out downtown had a chance to go on campus checked out the uh, Chapel Bell which is a big landmark love the old style architecture here yeah it's a really kind of quaint sort of fall type day and uh, a lot of students walking around campus and walking around downtown and a fun little place that Chapel Bell I had never been there before, but it's so accessible. It's, it's right on campus, and anybody that wants to sound it can. And apparently, there are times it gets very, very loud. In one mile, turn left onto Carlton Street. We're about to go inside. We're on our way to Stegman Coliseum. We didn't, we didn't ring it. We had to go. We had, we lost. Well, oh, we haven't won anything yet. Won if Winthrop wins, we'll go back. We'll come ring. back and we'll ring the bell. That's awesome. Well, this is going to be another contest, Winthrop gonna be a little bit undersized rebounding has got to be probably job number one and George is just so big and Yante Maiden is a first round draft pick all right we're gonna go inside the next time you hear us we'll find out whether Winthrop won today or not Smith at midcourt Smith right wing Smith penetrates goes by a man reverse layup good Nick Smith coast to coast he made about three or four different moves right there Dave weaving in and out and a nice reverse layup Georgia 17, Winthrop 12, and Nick Smith has seven points. Cooks at the elbow, straight on Awad, and up fake. He'll drive middle, kicks it to Cooks. A corner three. No good back iron, and the rebound batted around. Awad hustles after it. Inside Ferguson, seals, and dunks! And Mark Fox calls timeout. Winthrop has cut the deficit to 30-25, and what Mark Fox doesn't like, Mike, is Georgia got out-hustled on that possession. Crump looking, Crump in the corner, catching his Harris, he'll fire a three and miss, and at halftime, Winthrop is down 40-38. to 38. Mike Winthrop was outplayed for most of that half. They're down two at the break. 
Right, but it was around that midway mark where they just, it was. this is a game of heart. Making plays, they didn't make as many plays as they would have liked, but they made enough to get in it. They had a good defensive stop, and without Xavier Cooks on the floor for the last minute and a half because you know, he picked up his second foul, they managed to get an Austin Awa three, and now it's a two-point game. Sunik at the left elbow. Sunik to Ukebu, inside Cook, slam dunk! Cook slipped the screen, and he flushed it. We're tied at 42, 17.50 to go second half. Left side, Bjorn Broman. Broman, right side, Anders Broman. Rise and fire, yes! Anders Broman, second, second half, three. 58-52, Winthrop. Right side, Sunik. Right wing at the three-point line, Cooks. Cooks for three, a high arcer, good! Xavier Cooks cans only his third three of the year. 65-62, Winthrop. 8.40 to go. Winthrop down two, 145 to go. Cooks drives, finger roll, good! It ties the game, and Xavier Cooks has a career-high 30. We're tied at 79, 100 seconds to go. Three seconds to go, Nick Smith, a three left wing. It's no good in that set. Georgia survives, 87-82. Winthrop drops to five and four. Georgia is now seven and one. Boy, Mike, what could have been a really fun day in Athens, and the Eagles had a great opportunity to win that game, a tough loss. Really tough, well-fought played by the Eagles, but in the end, 87-82, Xavier Cook's fantastic. Down a dozen in the first half, Xavier shot the ball only okay in the first half. In the second half, he was unbelievable. I mean, what one of those games that you know why he's the best player in the league and he's a star and he's going to make a ton of money professionally, but just not quite enough. He was in foul trouble. Ukebu was in foul trouble. Ferguson was in foul trouble. It, it's a game they could have had. And Xavier told me after the game, a lot of the attacks to the rim, a lot of the layups that weren't falling this season started to fall for him, and that gave him a lot of confidence. But you got a tremendous effort out of Josh Ferguson, who played off. Again, the stat line wasn't terrific, but he was in foul trouble late. You had Andres Broman, who had two fouls early. He hits a couple of big threes and, and goes on for the second half. Nick Smith off the bench, Austin Awad. It was, again, it was a great effort. No consolation, no trophies for second place. They lose the game, but they did play well. Yeah, it's fun to play in that environment and be more than respectable, be competitive and have a chance to win. Obviously disappointing not to win, but still a really fun day, a fun city. Well, I think we won the day because we got a terrific lunch. We had a great conversation. It was fun hanging out with our buddies, Brett Redden and, and John Godbold. And maybe we met a, made a new friend in Dexter Weaver, from Weaver D's, that was a great spot. I'm not sure if he's going to think of us as friends, <laughs> but I'm going to think of him as a friend. That's a terrific spot, and we got a great restaurant recommendation from Carter Blackburn. And uh, then just walking around campus, you and I have walked around yeah. Athens before, but haven't spent a lot of time on campus. The the chapel there with the bell that they ring and some of the the buildings that look almost like a New England feel to them. It's really kind of cool. Yeah, it had a New England college feel to, to some of the architecture and some of the buildings. And, of course, there was a lot of modern touches as well. And 
you know, they put what eight million dollars into Stegman Coliseum, and and you could tell that on the outside, and they really did a nice job renovating that building. But we got a chance to go to the Chapel Bell, which has a, a rich tradition and just a neat town. It reminded me of kind of a small New England town, a college town as well. When you and you look at, and we talked about it earlier in the in the cast here, but uh, 101 establishments have liquor licenses. I mean, you couldn't go 40 feet without running into a, a bar or a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And then when we were on campus, we had an opportunity. Our friend Everett Hutto and his brother were there. His brother's a UGA alum. And he said, hey, let's walk over to Sanford Stadium and 91,000 seats. And they're yeah. doing some construction. Obviously, the football team is having tremendous success under Kirby Smart. It's always cool to look at buildings that different schools have and the way they have things organized and because they've been so successful you hear about between the hedges it was neat you may not know much about the university of georgia if you don't live in the southeast but you know about sanford stadium you know about playing between the hedges and the, the history there and it's it's a beautiful stadium we, we caught it as they're closing off uh the open end zone which is on the the student union side and you could see the doghouse uh, that's on the side on the Georgia sideline from where we were doing that. That was a lot of fun, and it, it is a great stadium. And I've I've been to a football game there. Uh, it's an amazing environment. We didn't get a chance to go visit Bone Hill, and that's when you're tailgating and you eat your chicken bones, your chicken wings, and then you throw the bones down the hill. We <laughs> so what do you have planned for us for Alabama State? Stay tuned. Stay tuned to at Bearded Carcast. That's the uh, Twitter handle. You know how to get to us on SoundCloud. And if you want to email us, you can email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Our next trip will be to Montgomery, very historic there, and then a quick turnaround and a trip to Richmond. So we'll have lots to talk about on those two trips. Lots to talk about. Hopefully we have some more great reviews um, from famous, well, soon to be famous, or just great off-the-beaten-path eating establishment. Send us an email. Where should we go? Send us an email on that if you have a topic you want us to talk about or funny comments from previous podcasts, please uh, let us know. BeardedCarCast at Outlook.com. Night swimming deserves a quiet night. Night swimming deserves a quiet night.